a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Our next guest is celebrating over 50 years of rock and roll, a brand new record. Their 25th actually, Surviving the Law, is available now wherever you get your music. You get it, uh, honestly, anywhere. Uh, please welcome to the show, back to the show, Pete Agnew from Nazareth. How you doing? Great to welcome you. Oh, welcome back. doing very well. Thank you very much. Nice to see you, Jeremy. You too. Uh, let me ask you this about Surviving the Law. And I was reading online a couple of comments, and and I saw one that just struck me as bizarre. And it says, it doesn't sound like old Nazareth. And it's like, well, that's kind of the whole point of a new album. Um, but let me ask you, do you, are you concerned or worried about recapturing, you know, another hair of the dog or, or the old sound? Or is it about moving it forward? No, the thing is, we never had a sound, you know. I mean, the one thing that we had as a sound was Dan's voice, I guess. Right. It was the sound. But Nazareth never had a sound. We, we, we did, uh, most of our hits uh, were ballads, you know. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, you know, we don't we, we don't consider a sound. But the thing is, old Nazareth, old this, old that. I mean, that's the, that, that, that album was 19 albums ago. You know, we've done an awful <laughs> lot of really good albums. You know, it's like... You know, as what, who was the team that Babe Ruth was playing for? Are they still going? Right, the Yankees. That, that, see, yeah. that's what I've always said. You know, do, do you change the name of the Yankees or whatever the football team and you, because the the stars? Of course not. It, it's such a strange. Yeah, you see, the thing is that you know that we we've we've had quite a few changes in lineup throughout the years. I right. mean, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed them all myself. Got to tell you, um, and luckily I've I've played on the ball, obviously. But um, you know the, the the things change with different guys writing different songs. Get, d- different people bring different influences to the band, and and so I think that's a good thing. I think it's been a you know we wouldn't we didn't get boring. I know that we didn't just do another. You know, at the time I remember because Hair of the Dog was the big hit. Remember, it was the big hit in America. What people tend to for, what tend to forget over there is that we had like five albums, you know, before that. We had we had gold and platinum albums all over the world before we actually got onto the American charts, you know. So uh, I know that that's the big one and it's treated like that over there. But that's that album's not been. Uh, if you come to if you come to let's like, say Germany or if you uh, places like coming to Europe, and to, uh, you know they they don't they don't see that one as being the biggest album of Nazareth. You know they don't. And in fact, I, I think it would rate down a bit. You know, so you know, yeah, that was a time. That, put it, put it, that, that was a time in our life. That was a time in our life, and it was a good. That was a good time. But we never. I remember the the record companies after that one said, "Right, we want another hair of the dog," which we absolutely refused to do, because if you know, if you any Nazareth fan would tell you, the next album that came after that was close enough for rock and roll and sounded nothing like Hair of the Dog, and that's how we always intended our albums not to sound the same. Do you know? It's uh, it's one of these things. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I couldn't I couldn't play in a band that, that that did the same thing all the time. I don't think if we'd have been, you know, I, what would you call a heavy, what's it, what's it, heavy metal, right. uh, heavy metal band. I don't think I could have su- survived that. You know, right. uh, like okay, here's here's part five, here's part six, here's part seven. It'll sound just like the last one. Yeah, 
I couldn't have couldn't have done that, and I don't think our fans would have liked that. To tell you the truth. No, and, and and I'll say one thing. That seems to be more of a of a European thing, where you want to sort of move the ball or or move it forward, and not always do the same thing over and over yeah. again. Because uh, I find sometimes with American bands or North American bands is that they get the hit. And then they try to do twelve other of the hit. Well, they get the hit. They get the hit, and then they try and go. Okay, how can we do this again? <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, you know, if it works for you, fine. But I, th- I think it's. I think it's boring, really. I mean, it's okay to try and make some some dollars. Okay, fair enough. I mean, everybody's trying to do that. I don't blame them, but um, right. I think you know, I, from my point of view, from a from a musician's point of view. I would find it incredibly boring, and 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 you know we wouldn't have liked it. And I think the reason that we've, the reason that we got to make twenty five albums is because the fans knew that the next album wasn't going to sound like the last one, you know. And I think that, and I think that's where we were allowed to do this these amount of records because, you know, maybe they weren't all hits, but, uh, but they were always interesting. You know, yep. there were always there was always something there was always something new on on the and a new approach. Uh, you know that kind of thing. At least that's how it always felt to me. Then I th- and I think even you know, what I get when when I read comments from people. You obviously will get the same ones from you know that you're just getting there. All oh, the old Nazareth, the old Nazareth. But obviously, you get a few like that. But the majority of people that follow this band, especially these days, you know, they they see they see it the way we see it. You know, they 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 see the new things and they and they enjoy the new things. So that's who we're playing for now. Well, I have to say, uh, you know, yesterday on Twitter, I posted that uh, that bands that are still current, that are still touring and don't put out new music, I've lost interest in, you know, when when you've been around and all you're doing is every year you go out and you play the fa- the same 15 songs, it's like, why do I need to go to that? But then you look at, and especially some of the European bands, Thunder, UK, Gothard, and then Def Leppard and Whitesnake, always doing something new or always having some kind of new product. And it's like... Yeah, that's what it's about. I want to hear what my heroes are up to. Yeah. I want to hear what they're doing. Is that how you approach it too, or or, or do you? I mean, is it just? Well, to, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I think I think that people like to see that you have to, that you can still be creative, you know. Yeah. And and uh, so and I think most and I think most people. <clears throat> well, I, th- I think most people, most musicians I know are. You know, they're, they're quite creative, and and if they get the chance to do new things, I've got to say, you know, as I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're lucky enough to be able to do twenty five albums, mm-hmm. but in some cases, you know, bands aren't making new albums because they couldn't get arrested. You know, the the, the, the record companies don't want to know, so that's sometimes the reason that they aren't bringing out new things. You know, but um, and a lot of these bands, as you say, that. There's a lot of bands come out and and they do. I mean, I know myself that when we go on tour, when we do the set, you know, when you do your actual live set, I mean, seventy percent of that set's already been picked. You know, right. the people they want to hear, they want to hear the hits, they want to hear the things. I mean, you know, there's there's certain songs that are, you know, you don't do this, they ask for their money back, and I don't blame them. You know, I mean, right. if, if I went to see Deep Purple and didn't play Smoke on the Water, I would be pissed off. Well, you know, I'd so, be a little upset. Well, yeah. True, <laughs> but you know what. <laughs> Uh, you no, know, people want people want to hear the, the hits, but at the same time, the, you know, you always it's always nice when you're doing a thing to say, well, here's two or three of our new album, and it's really nice for for the people to say, oh yeah, right, this is good, something new, something we've not heard from them before. 
You know, right. and, and I'll just I'll just quickly add to that, and then uh, Jeremy, I'll let you go. But uh, there's a you know Peter Gabriel. Sometimes you go to his shows, and he doesn't do Game Without Frontiers or Shock the Monkey. And you would think you'd be all upset, but I like the fact that he's challenging you to know more of the songs. He's challenging you to, 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 and, and he's, you know, he's, so, so yeah, you got to hear the hits, but sometimes, I don't know, you, <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, that's one way of looking at it, you know, but if we don't play Hit of the Dog, we get challenged as well with a baseball bat. Well, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> so we don't, <laughs> or love her. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I also find no, it's disrespectful to the casual fan because, I mean, you know, it's, Right. Last time I talked to Paul Stanley from Kiss, he was like, you know, we don't play for like the four or five diehards that go to uh, six or seven shows. We play for the casual fan in every city that, you know, knows the yeah. familiar songs. And it's disrespectful right. yeah. to those people if we don't play them. Right. I've, I've, you know, you've got, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I think you've got to play. You really should play your hits. There's there's room. There's always room in a set to fit in the other things that you like. You know, if you if you can't fit all your set, and then you've got to make it a longer set so that you can fit in ones that right. you know the new ones you'd like to play. You now, know? Here's um, how you fit in the hits. You, you you cancel all drum solos, bass solos, all that nonsense, <laughs> and you That's play right. fucking songs. Yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You, you sound like a man after Mon Hart here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, you know, you know the one I like. You know, it was funny. You know, when when the new album came out, this one, it was quite funny because somebody wrote to me and said, "This is before it came out." They said, "Well, it's up on the uh, is it iTunes or something like that." And yeah. you know how you can go up there and you can play like I don't know, it's about a minute of the track. It comes up. You know when you you flip oh yeah onto Shazam. It, it's called Shazam. And I'm thinking, I, and I thought, that, you know, one of the I thought I'll, I'll listen to this thing, see what it's like. So I started at the beginning of the album and I went through the whole thing and I thought, yeah, this is the way to listen to records. <laughs> okay, enough of that one, next. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, no insult to your son who's the drummer in the band, but I don't need to hear solo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, oh, go ahead. I mean, well, look, I mean, geez, there's you, you go to show so many times that it's like, really? Like now the drum solo? Like we went and see Cheap Trick on Sunday night and it was just like, what? There's a drum solo? The opening band is doing a drum solo? <laughs> oh, no, we've never, never, I can I can safe, safely say in our entire existence as Nazareth, we never did a drum solo or or worse, a bass solo. Yeah. I mean, that can, that's, that, that, that <laughs> I've never understood unless, you know, unless it's one of these, you know, Unless I don't know, unless you're Stanley Clark or something like that, you know, and and you know, don't well, yeah. be, don't be doing don't be doing yeah. this to us. Unless you're Michael Anthony rolling around with the flanger and rolling around and all the crazy <laughs> well, noise. I tell you, what, what's the what's the kid that's in with the, with the, the Australian one? I'm the wee guy from uh, what's that name? The, 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 the crazy guys, the guys, these guys that go naked and everything. What's the name? Oh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Aye, aye, aye. You know, like, uh, that's a bass solo I must enjoy. I must, I've got to say, I enjoy that. That's yeah, cock swinging during the bass solo. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but listen, no, nobody's paying a hundred bucks for a ticket going, man, I hope they break out a bass solo tonight. I really? <laughs> nope. Yeah, but then you got Mitch LaFont's like, oh, I hope he whips his cock out tonight. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, I, there you go. Listen, you no. go along, the wisdom of the one of the most famous bass players in the world, and we don't think about it. He doesn't play one. Paul McCartney doesn't give you a bass solo, you know. No. He just sings you another million, million, million dollar song. You know? Well, yeah. that's it. 36 songs a night per set list. It's if crazy. You the, if you have the songs, you don't need to substitute a solo. That's right. Well, you know, there's a lot of bands. I mean, let's face it, a lot of bands, because of the, 
they, they build their reputation on solos, and that's fair enough. You know, you wouldn't have Eddie Van Halen in the band and not have a guitar solo. You know, exactly. Right. But that's, but that's you know? different. There, there are a few bands where you want to have that. You want to see Neil Peart. You want to see Eddie Van Halen. But for the yeah. most part, you, you don't. <laughs> if you, basically, you know, and most I remember a guy telling me, I think it was uh, Alex Harvey once said to me, when they're a great band. And Zal was one of the best. In fact, he played with us for a while. One of the best guitar players on the planet. And Alex always read. He reckoned if you can't say it in twenty-four bars, then you know you've got nothing else to say. <laughs> so, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> no. Pete, I got a question for you. You came up in like the golden era of musicians cutting tracks live off the floor, straight to tape. Now this day and age, it's all Pro Tools, remote recording. Uh, what is um, what's like the biggest challenge for you these days when it comes to recording and writing music? Well, well, there's no, uh, there's no real challenge, and it's very, very easy. It's a lot much easier now. You know, I mean, we we did with that album there. Uh, we did that. I mean, our, our vocals, our lead vocals were all done over in Vienna. I mean, that's, you know, because um, that's where Carol was. And he couldn't get in and out of the country, you know, because of all these quarantine and all this crap that was going on. Right. So there was the three of us, the three of us in the studio and said, and, and it worked out fine. I mean, people have been doing that for years, you know, and it, and it works. It does work. Um, I don't think, I think there's some, some tracks that you get uh, it's, it's nicer to play them, you know, off the floor. But uh, but a, a lot of the a lot of the things, as you say, that, that things are all done in, in, in pieces. We, you get used to it, you know. That's been going on for so long now. It's not, you know, it's been going on for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So I've got used to the fact that you know well, you want to come in and do the bass now, and it's not like an unusual thing to be. You know, what's more unusual, as we say, like, uh, you fancy cutting this one? You know, like I remember when, on this one, for instance, we did uh, a song that you made me. Which is mm -hmm. a song that I, wrote, no, I actually sang it on on the album, the last track on it, and you know we tried that you know pieces and bits and pieces, and it just didn't, it, it wasn't working, you know it didn't work. So we said we're going to go in and we need to get a kind of feel for this, and we did that one. We just went in and played it, and uh, and after working on it for a couple of days and not getting anything, we went on and played it off the floor and did it in five minutes. So you know just it worked, right. you know. Um, I don't like I say I don't think I, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's challenging. I think it was more challenging uh, when we did have to play it off the floor. You were in some some studios where it was a real struggle trying to get any kind of you know any kind of sound and things. You right. don't have to worry about that now. You know you don't right. really. You know people can we, people can actually make what well, and they do. They're making albums in their bedroom. Um, and they sound ten times better than people could make in, in the biggest studios back in the early seventies. This is why, you know, you don't have a lot of groups in the charts. Now it's all these, it's all solo apps now, artists now, because they've got all these uh, bits of software that they can have a two hundred piece orchestra at the end of their bed, you know, and, and make their record. And, and okay. you know, so you know they don't have to get together and jam in the garage again, like you know, like in, in the old days. So you're seeing a complete because of the way music is being made. You're seeing different. You're seeing new kind of music. You're seeing you're seeing things like the the, the soul artist is is big big time. You know because of, because the way we make you know digital music. You know. Right. And and it's more challenging now because you actually have to uh, back then you actually had to be good at your instrument. 
No, I better not comment on that. Just real quick, uh, I want to talk about cover songs and their and their place in the band's history. You, of course, took uh, the Everly Brothers' Love Hurts and turned it into a massive single. And when people think of the song, they don't think of anybody else, think I should say, of anybody else except uh, your right. version. Uh, but yeah. I also want to talk about Hair of the Dog because Guns N' Roses took that song and made it their own. Um, just quickly talk to me, how important was it for a band like Guns N' Roses at the time to cover that song and sort of let fans know, that you know, the, the 80s Sunset Strip fans know, hey, before you say we're great and this and that, let's, let's take a moment to remember this band, Nazareth. How important was that for them to cover you? Well, it's always good. I mean, it's always good to get covered. We've had you know, stuff covered by quite a few bands. Those guys were probably the the biggest, you know, right. uh, you know. And obviously, what what's what's good about that was uh, not only that you make a few bucks out of it, uh, which is always handy, but um, right. when you get when you get the you know the fans when you get a band that's that big, and mm-hmm. they say these guys, they, they're telling their fans. We were influenced by these guys, and we're playing this song because we like these guys and blah blah blah. Then sometimes, you know, the the their fans that haven't listened to us, I'll go, well, you know, my heroes think these guys are good. I'll give them a listen, you know, and uh, so then they listen to you, you know, and and that, then that that kind of that's kind of nice, you know. You're you're getting a another I don't know another generation, but you're getting another bunch of people that wouldn't have listened to you. In the, you know, a, a younger lot. You know, so Listen, that was really that's me. Really quite, uh, that's exactly I, yeah, me. Well, I heard, I heard Hair of the Dog, and I went, "My God, it's a great song!" And then it says, "Oh, it's a cover." And I went, "Who?" <laughs> all right, all right. Well, there you go. You see, there, you know. There you go. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and it's the same thing where every, you know, where, uh, everybody thought, you know, the Everly Brothers, uh, Love Hurts. But I mean, that's not the version that we, the version we loved of Love Hurts was, was Graham Parsons and Emily Harris. Right. Which was on one Graham's uh, Grievous Angel album. And that's the one we used to listen to in the van. That's the one that we sort of did our backing track to uh, like like that one, you know. So that was the one that influenced us. Right. But, right. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's you know. Yeah. But I, I also think a lot of the best bands are the bands that wear their influences on their sleeves. I mean, you get into music because you want to be an Eddie Van Halen or you want to be a Pete Agnew. Right. Or a Beatles or whatever, or Elvis yeah. Presley back in that day. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to be Elvis, by the way, Pete? Everybody wanted to be Elvis. <laughs> when, 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 when I was when I was ten years old, before I even knew what sex was, I still wanted to be Elvis. You know, because right. uh, there was, you know, and at that time, the, the greatest thing that that man ever did was every house you went to, um, if they had a anybody in their house that was more than fourteen years old, they had a guitar lying around because mm-hmm. not that I ever got played, but they all bought one. You know, so I used to, my mum and dad used to take me out to visit their friends and I always knew I'd end up with getting able to play a guitar because somebody dumped it because they'd bought it to be Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, you remember the first time you saw Elvis? Oh, I just, well, I mean, actually saw, you know, it was just, um, it was always just... Um, like on the TV uh, or... No, not even, no, no, excuse no. me. You, you, you American guys and your TVs, we didn't have TV. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard you we heard him the, on the record or you heard him on the radio we were in the Scottish caves pal you know, and, <laughs> you know 
I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get a TV and tell Elvis was going into the Abbey. <laughs> no, no, the first time I saw Elvis, I think was was, was uh, I mean, I think uh, it was in, in the movies. But I mean, actually, it used to be in the you know the the comics, the magazines, and stuff. Yeah. You know? But just the anyway, idea. I mean, like, I just want you to like going back and thinking about when you were first exposed to the music and like what made you want to be a musician. Like, do you remember that moment where it clicked in your head? Like, shit, like this is what I want to do. Well, I mean, I I I always listening to records that my dad had. You know, I mean, he was a uh, he was a big Bing Crosby fan, and uh, oh yeah, Ernie Ford and, and people like that. And, 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 and these, you know, these these kind of guys. I used to I used to hear them. I mean, I loved I loved the music that they, they were playing before before there was anything rock and roll. You know, mm-hmm. I was always always just loved loved music. I and mean, you sing, I mean, I sung all their songs. I mean, <laughs> my Bing Crosby songs. You know, yeah. so I always went. I mean, it's when the other stuff hit. You know, when that came out, it was like, oh, yes, I definitely want to do this. You know, I can see you walking so, around the house singing Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, we no, interviewed no. him last week. He was great. He, he came later. But uh, no, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is, I remember, uh, uh, what was it? Um, what was it? When it's my, my mum and dad gone around. So I went, and I remember the one they used to in Harmony when it's springtime in the Rockies. <laughs> and they used to sing this in Harmony. I used to think, what is that thing that you're singing different from? You're singing different from her. What is that? That's a Harmony, you know? Yeah. And that's when you, you, pick, you pick up all these things when you're a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just all cool to you. It is. Let me just take you back to the early 70s for for a little bit there. In Europe, you had a lot of bands coming out, Black Sabbath, UFO, Uriah Heep, uh, Led Zeppelin. All. How conscious were you of what they were doing? And did you ever sort of feel that you were in competition? Or if that's not the right word, did you ever sort of say, ooh, did you see what Michael Schenker did on that album? We need that sound on were you aware of the, of what the other bands were doing, you know, Scorpions, or were you just sort of like, no, we're Nazareth, we do Nazareth stuff, and whatever? No, I mean the Scorpions. I don't think they'd started when we started. I mean, that was well, they started no, in '72. No, no, yeah, well, there you go. Well, we were we were a year ahead of that. Well, I, mean, I remember them coming out, but they were they were always they they weren't a, they weren't a British band, so they, <laughs> they were right. Uh, they didn't count over there until they did get until they did count. Um, now these other guys, guys like uh, Zeppelin, everybody knew who, who Zeppelin was because they, you know, they got big in the late '69, I guess. That we actually did a couple of their songs when we were a cover band, you know, in, right. the, in the ballrooms and things. But all these other guys, no, no, you know, let's heap and well, they're all pals of mine now. But um, these guys all started out about the same time as us, right. and. Uh, I suppose everybody was influencing everybody else, but I never, I never really thought about anybody has been competition. Really, I mean, in fact, mm-hmm. the first two albums we did, we, you know, weren't really. We never really had made up our mind whether we wanted to be a, a kind of, uh, especially it was the third album, Razzle and Azz, when we decided that it was rock that we played best, you know. But when we were when we did the second album, I mean, we used to listen to bands like. Uh, we were, you know, listening to bands like Poco and uh, Poco. Listen, you got to love the Poco. Yeah, we used to listen to them. But we little, little Feet was always the, you know, big, big, big influence. It was a band that we it was my favourite band, still is actually. And the band, you know, we used to listen to them a lot. So we were not, we weren't so much listening. We weren't. I don't think we were as influenced by the heavy rock bands as we were by right. the, the other, you know, the, the other rock 
type of stuff that was going at the, around at the time. You know? But what an exciting time. I mean, you know, as a fan, you know, on, on Saturday, I see UFO. On Sunday, I see Nazareth. On Monday, I go see Black Sabbath. You know, what a, what a time. Deep Purple. Well, was, I mean, geez. It was wild. When, in London, when we were down there and... Uh, in the early 70s, well, 71, 72, at that time, I mean, you could go to the marquee every night of the week and see somebody that was, you know, a big a big name in a yeah. tiny little club because everybody liked playing there. But, and, you know, it was a great time. It was a great time because all these all these bands that are monsters now were all just kicking off then. You know, I mean, I met like Genesis. You know, we were on the right. same level as them. And I remember when they... You know, when, when when they used to be playing, we go and see them and say, that, you know, they were great. They were, they, they were great. I never ever thought that, I, I knew they had something, but I, I never thought that they got to the size they did. You know, so it was great. You grew up with all these people, you know. I, let me just, I just want to, now that you mentioned Genesis, I'm just going to throw in a question because, of course, Peter Gabriel and they had the hats and the fox and the. Uh, did right, did right. you sort of look at that and go, what the fuck is that? Or are you like, man, that's cool. We got to make. I saw, I, I saw him doing it one night. We went to. We were in Hamburg one night, and we went. We actually went along to. We caught the end of the act, and then wow. Peter come on with that thing. We we're in the music, and then we all went out to this bar afterwards <laughs> with him because they were on the same label, right. and they were just kind of, kind of just starting to. They just starting to get a bit bigger then, and I thought that. I mean, the guy was really cool because you couldn't. You know, you couldn't take your eyes off him. When he came on, there was a real thing to look at on the stage. You know, it was it was very impressive. And the man, and, I mean, I loved what he went on to do after Genesis. The guy was fabulous. I mean, I'm still, I'm a big fan of Peter Gabriel. Yeah, me too. And 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 I'll I'll give him kudos on this: is that he went off and he didn't become a Genesis cover band. He just went, no, nope, I'm starting over. Here's my new stuff. And oh, that's, that's ballsy. I mean, that's uh, ballsy. Yeah. And made some incredible albums as well. So you know, was, yeah, uh, so, I'm glad. So. I'm, I'm actually glad he left because he, he came. You know, we got to hear things I don't think would have heard if it had been a Genesis. Absolutely. Uh, let me just bring it back to Nazareth here for the one more question. Um, you you do have a new voice in Carl. How is that for you to to introduce a new voice after 45 years? You know, when when Dan leaves. Is it scary? Is it like, hey, man, now we've got new textures, new color, new... How do you sort of take the vocal change from your perspective? Well, it was, it was kind, of, well, kind of scary and wondering what the fans were going to think of it, but it was exactly what we were looking to do. Because when Dan, you know, and Dan knows that we've talked about this together, uh, when Dan had to pack it in, when he had to leave, right. we, we, we knew we wanted to keep going, but we could never... There was no way that we wanted to get as Dan sound alike, you know. That the, the the fans would have hated that. They wouldn't have liked that, and the, the critic would have got slammed for that, you know. And we didn't want that. We thought if we're going to do it, we need to get somebody that's really good, but somebody that sings this, you know. That we're, we're it's like a new band, really thing, you know. You've got to, you know, give the guys space. So when when I got a lot of audition, well, we keep saying tapes sent, and it wasn't tapes. Whatever it was, people send in the, you know, the files. And I listened to them. I mean, there was a whole lot of Dan soundalikes. You know, people want to hear it. And I'll tell you, a lot of them were very, very good. But it was just not, we don't want this, you know. And when a friend of mine said, you should take a look at this guy. And uh, and he, he came along. Now, I saw Carl and I went to see him. Uh, 
Uh, and one of these shows, it was one of these reviews where it was a, it was a big band playing, uh, big hit review kind of thing they were doing with the Monster songs. It was in all the theatres here. And there was a couple of singers in the band, about four guitar players, they were huge big ones. And they were doing huge things like, you know, Queen songs and The Who and, and Skinner, and you name it, just uh, every different thing. Vocally and was, challenging stuff, by the way. Yeah. And he was up there singing, or you know, like a child in time and stuff, you know. And he was up there singing these things. And I thought, this guy is the guy because he knows how to take other people's stuff and make it his, you know, and and do it his way. So when he when he came up to sing with us, we gave him a couple of songs to, to sing. When he came to the audition, he got halfway through the first number and we said, you're the man. So he was hired. And now the thing is, we you're always wondering what the fans are going to think because Dan was such a huge, I mean the guy's an icon you know, <laughs> and quite rightly so, so when we went when we actually started going out on the road it was it was actually quite encouraging, because you you know you get the usual two or three shake the head and you know that kind of thing but mostly 95% more than that, were, were right behind the guy, they really loved the guy so, uh, and probably his presence on the stage had a lot to do with that so it was really good to know that he was accepted because there's a lot of people. I mean, we see it on, the, on our Facebook or website or whatever, yeah, people writing in, you know, especially when we did a couple of albums now with a guy and people writing in and saying, you know, I really didn't want to like this guy. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, and a lot of them, I didn't think anybody could take over after Dan, but. You know, so you you always get a few that say, "Well, never, it's not the same." Of course, it's not the same, but a lot of them were very, very impressed by the way that the man took his position in the band, and I think uh, kudos to the man. I mean, he's, he's he's done a great job, and he's got. And the thing is, he's got two really great albums to prove it. You know, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, anyway, listen, I, I agree with you. You don't want to be a cookie-cutter band where you just go replace it with, you know, a cheap knockoff. Uh, having Carl no. in there with his voice is just is brilliant. Yeah, he's like I say, the man is, now he's been able to do, uh, you know, he's done, he's, he does the, the Nazareth standard stuff, you know, the stuff that people expect to hear, he does it well. But now he's doing two albums where he can say, well, look, this is what I did with Nazareth, you know, and these aren't just two albums that we've tagged on the end of our career. I mean, these are two of the best albums that Nazareth have ever recorded. Uh, any time, you know, any any version of Nazareth, you know, if we'd have come out with, if we'd have come out with Surviving the Law, I wish. As our, yeah. as, our fourth, as our fourth album, that would have been a monster. <laughs> well, I mean, this album is heavy. I mean, there's, you put it on and you go, oh, what are they doing? Like flute music this year? And then all of a sudden it just pounds you in the face. You go, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. They still, we're, we're they still got we're drive. Happy. No, but it's nice to see that after whatever, 54 years, that you're not just calling it in. You're, you're ready to pound. And it's like, wow, look at that. So right in the law. Beautiful. Love it. It's not, it's not music from my Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey, we like, oh, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't knock the pan flute. We like the pan flute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, check it out. The 25th record, uh, Surviving the Law, available now wherever you get your music. Go buy it, download it, stream it, do whatever you got to do. You got to get it in your life. It's fantastic. Uh, latest from Nazareth. Pick it up now. Uh, Pete Agnew, thanks a lot for coming back on the show. Always a great pleasure to chat. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, best of luck. Before we go, uh, Mitch wanted me to ask you, um, what decade had the better women, uh, 70s or 80s? <laughs> so what happened to the 90s and the 2000s? <laughs> 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 what, what, 
They what, were all great. With this? <laughs> no, they I were all great. I don't dare answer that one. You know, that's like, <laughs> that's like the one when people say, what's your favorite town to play in? I mean, do you seriously think I'm going to answer that? <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, I love Detroit. That Boston is just <laughs> awful. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're, if you're cutting liners for a radio station, hey, what's up, Boise? We're Nazareth. Whenever we're in Boise, we don't listen to Hits FM. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the good old time. There you go. Uh, Pete, always a pleasure. And uh, the, keep making new music. Keep us interested. None of this uh, right. playing the hits, uh, 15 hits for the next 20 years. That's just nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're giving me another 20 years. <laughs> you, Yes. You got listen. You, you don't have drum solos, so you, you got plenty of energy to go. Yeah. Okay. Great match. It was great talking to you. You too, Jeremy. Right. Yeah. Back at you, Pete. We'll see you soon. Stay Cheers. safe. Bye now. Bye. Now back to the Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White show. We are speaking with the one and only uh, Carl Palmer. The band has a new uh, box set out called Asia in Asia, due uh, June tenth. Uh, as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, Carl, comment allez-vous? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to talking to you about the new Asia box set. As you know, it celebrates the 40th anniversary of the first performance by Asia uh, in Asia. And in actual fact, when I say in Asia, we actually went there and did a, a satellite broadcast, as you well know. Yep. And that's... Um, that's in this book, and uh, Greg Lake actually stepped in for John Wetton at the time. In the box set, we've got some vinyl, which is like really cool and, as you know, highly collectible right now. There is a DVD of the show, followed with a CD with all of the recordings. Plus, we managed to put together a great uh, book of, um, of pictures of that period from, from the satellite broadcast, actually, which is from the Budokan, as you know, um, yep. in Tokyo. December the 6th. So that worked out really well. There's also a nice um, enamel Asia badge. A lot of the artwork designed by Roger Dean. Uh, as you know, he did the original logo yeah. for Asia. Um, it was an extraordinary uh, event because basically it was one of the first to go through um, MTV. And, and David Geffen, who owned the record company at the time, was the chap that set it up for us. So as you can imagine, we were extremely excited. And it was of that period when most of the DVDs that we made, or videos that we made, should I say, were done by Godley and Cream. For the ones for sort of Only Time Will Tell, Heat of the Moment, and so on. So quite an exciting sort of box set to have. Um, in there also is, uh, is an envelope full of, like, posters, which uh, mark the event at the Budokan on the 6th of December. And also there are some made-up versions of the tickets to so you can see what the actual tickets look like. So very pleased with the presentation. Probably one of the best box sets that I've been, I've been involved with over the years. And BMG have done a great job. Yeah, and it sounds great. Just quickly talk to me about the importance of playing Budokan. You, you know, you think of Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. You think of Kiss going there early in the early days and other bands. Uh, there are just some venues, Madison Square Garden, the L.A. Forum, etc., that are just so vital in a band's career. I mean, they really are a milepost or a stepping stone. Uh, talk to me about the band playing Budokan and what it meant for you at that time. I think I think you said it all. There are some there are some venues which mean a lot to band's career, to any band's career, and that's one of them, the Budokan in Tokyo, uh, and we played it, and that's where the recording's from. So yes, it's 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 a moment in time, that's for sure, and it's one of those great all-time venues. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, the other thing that you might be working on this year or you're working on is a film based on your um, ELP's brain salad surgery called a Carn Evil 9. Talk to me quickly about that movie and, and what are fans going to expect from, from that picture, from that film? You know, I can't, I can't really talk to you about the movie because it's okay. still in a, quite an embryonic stage because it's gone through many, many changes since we started doing it. And right now, um, the story has just taken another turn yet again. It's going to be based loosely on the piece of music Carnival 9 uh-huh. and the actual concept about computers taking over and computers running the world type of thing that will be in there. So it will be um, an AI sort of type of film, artificial intelligence based type of film. That's really all I can tell you on that, to be honest with you. Uh, Well, then quickly talk to me, uh, if you can, then we'll get back to the Asia about the Karn Evil 9 uh, piece, because to me, it was sort of your your supper's ready, right? I mean, it was this half hour music, uh, and it was just like, Wow. Um, was that difficult to construct? Was it supposed to be a statement song? Talk to me about putting that together, because half an hour is... Talk to you about putting that together. Well, it was like any other album that you make. You know, you go in with ideas, the ideas develop, you record them, you re-record them, you rewrite them. And that was probably the pinnacle of the um, actual creativity for the band Brain Salad Surgery. And there were some tracks that just, you know, meant an awful lot to us. Carnival Nine, oh, you know, and all that. Yes, it was. It was. A, it was the, the moment where the band had reached its pinnacle, and the recording of it was like any other any other day in the studio. To be honest with you, but that was highly creative period, uh, and, that, and that's what we managed to capture. And that's the thing to remember about that album. Um, when you put Asia together, it was it was deemed a a super group, and yet, of course comes out of the box and it's just a phenomenal success uh talk to me about about that time and you know the band went through all kinds of lineup changes why were you not able to sort of maintain it and say hey we have got something special here the fans love it billboard loves it um, we couldn't really maintain it because um, unfortunately one of uh, the the people in the band had a serious health problem and we I couldn't see. continue as the original lineup it's been well documented that uh, unfortunately john wetton was an alcoholic right. he managed to correct his life and turn his life completely around and the last 13 14 years of his life he was completely straight and extremely productive and probably singing better than what he was at the very very beginning um so that was obviously a a big problem for the band to continue in its original format so so we didn't after the third album we had to uh we had to break it down and and do other things that was the reason why greg lake did the broadcast from the budokan in the box set which um we've got out now asia because john well john wetton wasn't well enough to be there on that particular uh night yeah. Um, the band, of course, uh, has continued. You've put out a bunch of great albums in the last few years, including uh, Omega, Triple X, and uh, Gravitas. Uh, talk to me about getting back behind the kit and, and getting those albums done, because I actually have them in my iTunes and in, in my playlist, because I think they're just fantastic. Um, there, are, there is great writing there, and John Wetton being the main sort of top-line writer. And... Uh, 
obviously without him, you know, the, the, the direction of the band wasn't quite the same. He worked closely with Jeff Downs, but the, the top lines on, on all of those songs, or a majority of them, I would say, were John's. But the two of them, obviously, you know, worked incredibly well together. And without that combination, you know, we've been searching, and we've been searching and searching, and uh, there was no reason to, to carry the band on unless we could get it right. As you know, Jeff Downs is in uh, Yes. Yeah. I've got my own band, Carl Palmer's ELP Legacy, yeah. and there's lots going on with that. So really, Asia needs a moment in time to celebrate, which is the box set. We're celebrating this moment in time through this box set, through the 40th anniversary. And we've now got a new band. We've got Mark Bonier on vocals and lead guitar. And we've got Billy Sherwood, who's been with us some time on bass guitar, yeah. who's also in Yes with Jeff. So we'll just have to see how this goes. And if new material comes along, then that's great. But we need to just get our feet wet and go out and play as a group, first of all. Yeah, you will have. Uh, I've had a chance to listen, of course, to, to the box set or to the to the music on the box set. It sounds absolutely spectacular. The the remixing, remastering, whatever was done to it is just top notch. Um that event, of course, was on MTV, broadcast uh, by satellite. Uh, it was the early days of, of doing that. Uh, talk to me about the, that experience and what it was like knowing that the concert was going to be beamed on MTV and, and, and fans across the world would be able to see it, because that really was uh, avant-garde at that time. Uh, well, it was a first. Uh, talk to you about that. Well, a very, very simple satellite time was bought. Um, it was checked out to make sure that it would work it could work with mtv who were bringing it into america as you know it didn't go anywhere else in the world at the same time except japan obviously right um and it worked incredibly well we were incredibly lucky all of the technology happened to work uh, on the night it was well rehearsed it was well executed from their end in, in tokyo they got everything absolutely together and you know mtv were right on the ball and it came in and there wasn't any problems with the visual there was no problems with the audio feed all of it went very very smooth and it was a first i mean there'd been many satellite broadcasts but mainly around sports events boxing or football or whatever so to do it with music you know is slightly different um but it worked uh, and we were we were lucky and we managed to record it so it was a moment in time it was something which um i would have thought many more bands would have uh, would have done again but uh, satellite time is is very expensive probably not as expensive now it was then and um and we managed to put it off and come out with some product um, of course, MTV changed the way we we consumed music. We we went from listening to it with our ears to watching it with our eyes. How important was MTV to the band's history? Because it, to me, I, I would suggest that that it probably kickstarted the band's uh, career and kickstarted the band's uh, reach. And, and and all of a sudden, people went, "Wow." I can Absolutely see right. You have to understand that in the music business, you have to use the uh, the latest sort of media, whatever's happening at the time. Right now is a lot of social media, whether it be TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Right. You know, Facebook. People are going to be going to using 
all, all of those various ways to promote and you know broadcasting from their sort of bedroom or whatever and doing a, you know whatever a concert on facebook or whatever they might want to do at that particular time um it was to do with making videos and getting them on the tv and music tv was the way of the future it was the it was the vehicle one had to use record companies wanted to use it um they realized it was expensive because you had to make videos but videos you know got heavy play rotation so at the end of the day if it promoted the product then maybe there was a good comeback on it and it, and it worked well and in some cases it worked exceptionally well in some other cases not uh, as well as what it should have done but overall it was using the latest um, media at right. the time uh, and david geffen was part of that sort of um sort of uh, mtv launch as it were he was extremely involved uh, from day one and uh, he managed to get us a lot of coverage on that and of course the major coverage being um, the, um, the satellite broadcast where we've got the, the Asia box set uh, now on release and without, without David without the satellite broadcast into MTV we, we wouldn't have had the, uh, um, the gravitas that we've got around this product so very pleased that uh, you know, at that time the social media which was satellite broadcasting and MTV worked for us it really did. Uh, just quickly talk to me about, though, the, the creative per perspective. Because, you know, as a fan before in the 70s, I would listen to a song and the images would come to my head. And then MTV and Much Music in Canada sort of fed me the images that went with the song. And it sort of changed the way I, I, I appreciated music. Was that something that the band was conscious of, knowing that you're going to be putting sort of the literal interpretation in in the fans mind and and not having that ability to say hey you know what this song can mean this to you and you can sort of dream it your own way did it change how you approach music making no not really because if you want to think about a song you'll listen to the lyrics and you'll construct your own interpretation right. if you want to sort of see what the group thinks it should look like visually then you'll look at the video but the two of them can run parallel it right. depends what you want to do we, we want to sort of obviously the lyric content it's either i love you you love me girl and boy type of thing or it's right. got political content whatever right. it might have and some of our songs did and many of them didn't but with a video you actually get that sort of added excitement of a visual eye candy and uh, that you know at the time you know now it's not so important but at the time was vital and uh, if you know that changed your perception of the piece what you saw visually then you know if that wasn't what you thought it was all about you could listen to the ly lyrics and find out what it was all about and then it reinterpret it again so i think the two go hand in glove really they really do uh carl palmer's elp legacy of course is hitting the road uh, later this year and it's going to run through to 2024 from what i understand uh talk to me a, um, a little bit i just uh, we just finished an English tour, and we won't be um, we won't be um, hitting the road, as you say, uh, until the end of the year when I have a, a new uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer type of show using Greg and Keith on film right. playing in situ with them. Um, that will, that's something we're putting together now, and we're talking about how we're going to do it. In actual fact, we're doing all of the editing now for the various footage 
some of it I just finished today, Fanfare for the Common Man, and that will be the next project. And hopefully that should run for, a, a, you know, a few years because I'll, if it works out well, then I'll tour it globally. But we'll just have to wait and see. We are looking at playing probably about five or eight dates this year at the end of the year and then launching it in 2023 in the US and then bringing it into Europe the back end of 2023. And then we'll see how we go from there. Will it be a, a holograph tour, or is it just really the visual images? No hologram. It's all live footage. Uh, we tried okay. holograms, didn't work. This is all live footage. Live footage constructed from the Royal Albert Hall here in London, where we recorded for two nights. It was released uh, on a DVD. Um, the DVD got lost in between Sanctuary and Universal in the crossover. But the actual footage is superb, and the actual the music stems, the recording part of it is. Just just wonderful so it seemed the only way i could really get greg and keith playing in a live situation with me not holograms live concert footage and i could be in situ playing with them with today's technology so that's what we're working on presenting wow and uh, I'll, I'll wrap up on this real quick uh, the uh, on august 26 1977 so the, the the day before my ninth birthday you come to montreal my hometown and you play the Olympic Stadium, and of course it becomes the uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in concert. Uh, to me, that that album and that album cover is just—it's just so uh, iconic, you know, to see the Olympic Stadium's big O. And 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 uh, talk to me about that concert and and what does that album mean to you? Because it really is one of the greatest live albums ever made. So um, the, the the concert itself, I think there was about seventy eight thousand people there. We managed to get permission to play in the in the uh, arena in the stadium um, through various connections we'd had in Montreal because we'd lived there for about six months. Um, unfortunately, that particular night wasn't our sort of our most favourite night. We had two twenty four uh, desks, twenty four channel console desks, and the twenty four track for the orchestra. 15 minutes before we were about to go on, developed a fault. And it was a fault we couldn't find. And it was a real, a real problem. So we had to, we had to rig up um, four stereo channels for the orchestra to go through on the group 24 a channel desk so the whole of the evening was recorded all on one desk which we didn't want to do because we wanted to keep things separate nevertheless the performance was fantastic um yep. we found out later what went wrong uh with the desk which is something which we couldn't have uh, rectified on the night anyway um it could have been a better slightly better with recording than what it was but nevertheless we captured the moment in time and that was something we were after so we've got it you know and that was it that was it uh asia in asia the box set is out uh, june 10th uh, definitely worth checking out i've had a chance to listen to it it just sounds spectacular and uh, as we say in montreal Carl, uh, merci bien always a pleasure Thank you so much, and I appreciate the interview. Thank you very much for your time. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fine and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.